So good afternoon, uh, everyone joining us from the University of Leh. Uh, thank you, uh, Sonam Jolanna, for arranging this uh, uh, talk. Um, this falls under the Memorandum of Understanding between two organizations. And we are extremely happy to be organizing this talk for you today. This is the, officially, this is the second talk that we are organizing. The first two were held by Professor Shrikant Khandapali. And um, this afternoon, we are extremely delighted and uh, indeed privileged to have uh, a Claude Api with us to give a talk to your uh, students and faculty members. Uh, before uh, Claude goes into details with his talk, please allow me to briefly uh, introduce uh, Claude to you, although he really does not require Introduction. He is such a well-known uh, personality, uh, but just to give you a bit of a run, a run up on, on Claude. So Claude actually is an uh, overseas citizen of India. He is born in and he actually graduated as a dental surgeon from the Bordeaux University. And he came to India and he settled in India for the last 48 hours, uh, 48 years. Sorry, my, my mistake. Um, he's the author of many books, uh, but just to name a few, he's the author of Fate of Tibet, which was brought out in 1999. Um, the Dark Shall Be in the Night, the Karma of Tibet, uh, which was brought out in 2001. Uh, Born in Sin, the Panchil Agreement, which he brought out in 2004. And uh, more recently, um, he brought out a series called Tibet, the Lost Frontier in 2008. The negotiations that never were, Dharamsala in Beijing in 2009, and so on. Um, uh, I would really recommend students of, of, of China and international relations to uh, go through uh, Claude's writings, to uh, go through his books, and also his blog, which is full of uh, very interesting, very relevant uh, information. Claude, as you know, has been writing regularly on Tibet-China, India border and military issues, as well as uh, Indo-French relations for uh, a whole host of, of platforms and, and newspapers and uh, uh, journals. Uh, he also writes for um, defense publications such as the USI Journal, the War College uh, Journal, uh, CDS Journal, and he has lectured on China and Tibet and the border issues at uh, reputed institutions such as the NDC, ARTRAC, uh, IDSA, USI, CLAWS, and so on. Uh, in March uh, 2021, uh, Claude made a presentation on India's uh, northern boundary, history, legacy, and prospects for the uh, Eastern Command in Kolkata. And in December, to the same uh, uh, northern, uh, for the same organization on India-China boundary issues. So this is a clause, very illustrious uh, background. Uh, can imagine what it would be if he has to write a detailed uh, biography on himself. So please, I, I hand over to Claude. Claude will give a talk for about half an hour today, which will be followed by another half an hour of question and answers. And I request uh, Professor Sonam Jolanla to conduct the question and answer sessions. Um, the second part of his talk, uh, Claude had actually um, 
uh, prepared a one-hour talk, uh, which is going to divide into two sections. The first one is today, of course. The second one we plan uh, on Friday, uh, this coming Friday, uh, day after, at uh, the same time, 3.30 on the same platform. So do join us uh, as many as you can on Friday as well. So, uh, Claude, please, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Reban. Thank you, Dr. Sonunle. I'm very happy to meet you again, even if it's uh, virtually. Uh, we had a very good time 10 years ago, and I still very remember very dearly this uh, good time that we had in Le and visited Pangongso and all, all different things. So, uh, as uh, Reban mentioned, uh, I didn't understand that. I thought it was uh, I had one hour, so I I cut it in two, and you have the uh, first part today. So you have to. The topic is the Sino-Indian boundary historical background with emphasis on the Ladakh sector. Now, you are the first sufferer since 2000 May 2020. You know what has happened in Ladakh and China attack in five places, uh, Devsang, Garwan, Goka, and Hot Spring, and, and the Fingers in the Lake, as well as Demchok, has entered into India's territory. And uh, part of the issue has been solved in, during the 17 rounds of talk in Chushul, Moldo. But still, two areas are still under uh, dispute. And it's very unfortunate that India as not a very good neighbor. And I will speak about it in the second part of my presentation. But um, for century, though there was there's a war have taken place between Ladakh and Tibet, uh, usually it was solved after some time. And uh, both countries could have amicable uh, contacts and a lot of trade contacts, including all the caravan going to Lhasa. So now just geographical background. Uh, borders have not always existed. Actually, borders are quite a recent thing. 240 million years ago, there was only one continent. So there was no border. There was Australia, you see Africa, South America, North America, Europe, Siberia. China, and suddenly these continents split and uh, they became separate continents. And some 10 million years ago, they uh, collided again. They came back into contact. And as a result, you have the mighty Himalaya and you have Tibet, the roof of the world, as well as Ladakh and all the Himalayan belt which is very similar, which is all the uh, result of that collision 10 million years ago. So at that time, there was uh, no border. And not only that, the, the geographical uh, landscape are very similar, very often. Now, for centuries, not only no border, but on the maps, there was a blank. Uh, the, here, Ladakh is mentioned as uh, Little Tibet, Petit Tibet. It's a French map from the 18th century. And you don't see any border, but you see blanks. 
So the geographical knowledge of this area was quite poor. It's true for Tibet, but it's also true for, for Ladakh. Just full blank. And I think it's thanks mainly to uh, what we call the Pandits, the um, people of Himalayan origin, Uh, from Kinor, from Lahore, from other places, who uh, worked for the Survey of, in Survey of India in Dehradun with the British, who started mapping in the 19th century all that area. So if there's no uh, map, there's no also question of a border. And of course, <coughs> life was um, less aggressive than it is uh, today. So I want to, in this first part, uh, try to explain what is a border. Border has, been, has uh, come in the 17th, 18th century with the Westphalian system. Suddenly, that is my territory, that is your territory, and in between, there's a border. <clears throat> But still, it continues for decades, even for more than two centuries, without mapping, without delineation. Now, when the British came to the subcontinent, um, they were very keen to uh, mark the border. So, because it was a Western concept of the border, originally the, between Ladakhi and uh, Tibetan, there was some dispute for some grazing grounds or something like that, but there's no such a thing as a uh, demarcated or a fenced border. So now, you, how do you define a border? There's different principles which are used. Uh, for example, the mountain range, the Himalaya, the watershed. Now, uh, in some of places, like uh, Northern Sikkim, for example, uh, it's very clear. Or in most of the uh, areas in uh, Uttarakhand, the border is quite clear, the, uh, the line, the watershed, The, uh, where the water goes one side or another is quite clear and you, you know where is, where is the, the border. Um, a pass can be uh, a border also. Like you have um, Bumla in Arunachal, Natula in Sikkim, Chipkila in um, Imachal, uh, Lanakla or Karakoram Pass in, in, in Ladakh. So you cross the pass and you're on the, on the other countries. So traditionally, people knew the caravans, <clears throat> the traders, the monks, whoever was visiting the pilgrims, they knew they crossed this. A river can be uh, a border. Like international, in international law, the middle of the river. Like, for example, the Rhine River between France and, and Germany. The middle of the river is a border. <clears throat> and if there is to be custom houses, they are both sides of, of the river. But more importantly for uh, Himalaya, for the Himalayan region, for the Himalayan belt, for Ladakh in particular, uh, pasture, the grazing grounds can demarcate, can uh, uh, show that one area belongs to a country and uh, another area belongs to the other country. And I will come to the case of, of Ladakh uh, before. Here I have mentioned uh, Gyakong, which is north of Sikkim. The Tibetan had no sense of what is a watershed. They didn't care what they care. They care where they could send the yaks. And the yaks could go 
few kilometers, maybe 15, 20 kilometers no, uh, south of the watershed, and where they could find a yak, that was their countries. And similarly in Ladakh, I will come to it, many uh, places. And um, lake can also uh, mark the border. Uh, normally, like in the case of Pangong, that is the middle of the lake, but Chinese have not always respected that principle. But in international law, it's very, very clear. So that is the way to define the border. So now these principles do not apply uh, in every places. Some places you have to use pasture, grazing ground. Some places it's clear there's a path, some clear watershed. And um, it's the British who in, uh, introduced that uh, first the principle. And in, uh, 19, in 1890, they signed a treaty with the Manchu. But uh, like the colonialist power usually do, they signed an agreement on the northern border of Sikkim without um, mentioning to the, the Sikkim government, which was an independent uh, nation at that time, and not to the Tibetan, which who also were more or less independent. So they just signed with Manchu in Peking and say that's, that's done. And similarly, they did for uh, Southern Sikkim, uh, where the Doklam incident took place in uh, 2017. They say there's one um, peak there, Gemochen, it, that, that's the, uh, the border. But the British realized very soon that Sikkim, it was an independent state, Tibet was more or less independent, Bhutan was independent, and they immediately refused when the British, uh, soon after signing the convention with the, the Chinese, the British start to erect uh, pillars, uh, like in the Dokalam, Dokala area near Do Doklam, where the incident took place. They were broken the next morning by the Tibetan. They said, we don't recognize. Because once again, they were recognizing the, uh, the, the, while the British were recognizing the watershed, they were more into the grazing ground where the yaks could graze. Now, um, the first time there was um, very extensive talks on the border, uh, and I think it's the, it lasted for six months. There was five, six rounds of talks, and the um, Ministry of External Affairs run the talks along with the Chinese. Uh, Chuen Lai had come in April 1960 in Delhi, and he agreed with Nehru, the Prime Minister of India, to have border talks. So during these talks, uh, there was, they divide, divided in different um, way to agree on the border. One was based on treaty and agreements. So India ag uh, argued on behalf of Ladakh that the, 90, uh, the 1842 Treaty of Shushul uh, mentioned the border. And the border was clear. There was no issue about it. That, that is them talk. Uh, that the 1890 treaty with Northern Sikkim with Manchu that the Tibetan never recognized, uh, uh, mentioned the watershed, and that was the border. <clears throat> and the other treaty, the only one with a map actually, is in 1914, the Mac Mountain Line. Uh, after six months of negotiation in Chimla, uh, there was a tripartite uh, com uh, conference 
<coughs> which is included on the same level, the British plenipotentiary, which is Sir Henry MacMahon, the Foreign Secretary of India, Lochon Chatra, the Prime Minister of Tibet, and Ivan Chen, the Chinese representative. At the, 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 the Chinese representative was not uh, interested by the northeastern frontier of India. So on the side of the, of the conference in Shimla, the, the British, Henry MacMahon, and Lochon Chatra signed an agreement on the map, on two big maps actually, and they put their seal. So it's only Leontaire, 4,056 kilometers of um, what is today the China-India border. It's only a map that we have. <coughs> the, during the talks in 1960, they said the border can be based on tradition and custom. Like in Depchok, the caravan would cross, they would go to the next village, uh, Tashigang in Tibet. Everyone knew, <coughs> excuse me, Demchok was in um, India, Tashigang was in Tibet. And, but they didn't bother to put pillars or to demarket. Similarly, uh, Chipkila or Nitila in Uttarakhand or uh, Barauti. And the third way, uh, the third classification where during the discussion was uh, it, based on administration is jurisdiction. Administration means when you collect uh, house taxes, for example. If you collect house taxes from a certain area, it means that, and nobody objects to, to that, uh, it means that this territory belongs to you. That is the case, for example, in uh, Nilong and Jadong in uh, Uttarakhand, in Chamoli district, uh, there was a dispute, <coughs> but uh, clearly the Terry Garwal, uh, the Darbar, the, the prince of the Terry, would collect the um, taxes from these villages. Therefore, it was part of Terry um, area. Therefore, it was part of India. And <coughs> in Ladakh also, in 1960, there was uh, uh, the Indian... Uh, Diplomats present a lot of uh, documents. I don't know how they got it, and uh, but uh, on the land uh, taxation of all the areas, you know, be, beyond Nyoma, Dungti, Koyul, all these uh, till Demchok, all these areas, they collected the the land revenue uh, records, and they could show to the Chinese who had no records. Uh, Chinese, of course, between 19, before 1960, were not nowhere. They only um, they had just come a few months ago, but they had start claiming a lot of uh, Ladakhi territory in some of the places that I mentioned at the beginning, which are today disputed. And <clears throat> I, again, I put three classification: the pre-independence claim, like the Tibetan were. Uh, claiming that place Nilang Jadang in Uttarakhand, what is Uttarakhand today. One place, I'll come to it after, Drogpo Karpo, which is north of the Pangonso. And uh, there have been disputes for about 30 years between uh, Ladakh, uh, the Ladakh administration, the Vazir El Vasarar, and uh, on one side, and the the kingdom of Jam uh, Jammu and Kashmir, and the other side, the Tibetan administration, 
de Garpen, the district um, governor of uh, Nari, of the Western Tibet. Uh, similarly, in Taiwan, there were some areas where, uh, which were claimed by, by the Tibetans. Actually, there's three places only which were claimed by Tibetan. That is Nilan, Dopokapo, and Taiwan. And uh, the other uh, pre-independent claim, the nationalist China uh, had uh, created a province in, uh, in uh, 1938-39 called Shikang. And they start claiming uh, the entire Norses till the foothills, uh, uh, what is Assam today. So uh, now they have also the post-independence uh, claim, like the accession. In 1947, when India became independent, uh, 1949, China uh, became communist and uh, Mao Zedong united the entire uh, China. Um, there was no claim at, up till that time of accession, because uh, for the good reason that Eastern Turkestan was more or less um, independent, though under uh, the tutelage the of the Soviets. And um, also in the Denchok area, in 1954, there was the talks for the Panchil. And for the first time, India realized that the, the, the Chinese uh, negotiator kept asking for Denchok. And like they do very often, they start uh, changing the, the name. They didn't call it Demchok uh, anymore. And they said, no, India insisted to uh, mention Demchok as a border for six months. And there was a big fight between the Indian uh, negotiator and the Chinese negotiator. China refused. As a result, there was five, six passes like Nitila, Man, Man, Lipuklek, Manala, Chipkila in the central sector, but it never uh, anything was mentioned on paper about Denchok. And this uh, Chinese call it Parigas, that area. So Indian negotiator couldn't understand what, what is this Parigas about. Many times, China, like they do, uh, they have done recently, a few months ago in Arunachal, they change the name of the place. So it's just for confusing the, the issue. And um, also the third uh, classification is the post-1962 conflict. Uh, in 1960, China produced a map that they said that is, that is the, our claim. Uh, they went beyond during the 1962 war, and particularly in Debsang area, and now they refuse to vacate this area. Cultural background, you're aware of the uh, Changchung Kingdom. We don't know exactly the geographical definition, but uh, the, that was uh, Ladakh's neighbor and Northern India's neighbor. And apparently that more and more research has been done on the archaeological research and other research have been done on the on this kingdom which was pre-buddhist the tibetan had a tendency uh, to forget the pre-buddhist history but now it has changed and uh, many uh, scholars have been studying that kingdom and uh, that was uh, the uh, neighbor of ladakh at that time and uh, i must say that the chinese have been doing a lot of archaeological research but for their own 
purpose. Uh, I put political archaeology because they would like to show that all the civilization, everything has come from China and even Narikosum, all the area in Western Tibet, all these uh, Toling, Saparang, all these uh, very beautiful uh, historical sites, they, they try to prove politically that this has been part of the Chinese empire, which was not the case because all these areas have been closely linked with northern India, Ladakh in particular, uh, Kinor, Laol, Spiti, and uh, you see when you go to Alshi and you go to Tsaparang, you understand immediately that the very deep cultural connection, connection. but China would like today to that we forget about this uh, uh, connection. Unfortunately, from the Indian side, there's much less archaeology research which has been done. The big turning point for the Tibetan plateau was uh, when the first monastery was built in Samye and with um, the help of Guru Padma Sambhava. And very soon after, there was a dispute between the Indian and the Chinese school of Buddhism and um, at that time, when there's a dispute, it's debated. And the monks debated intensely for uh, two years, between um, 792 and 794. And the Indian pass finally prevailed on the Chinese pass. So that's why Tibetan Buddhism today, including the Buddhism which is uh, practiced in Ladakh, is... Uh, come from uh, India and uh, many of the part of the tradition come from Nalanda, Dalai Lama who is starting his teaching today has mentioned time and again that uh, uh, the Tibet Buddhism has come is uh, originally from Nalanda University. But uh, there was a proclamation in Samye that uh, from the Indian way would be thereafter the state religion of Tibet. And of course, it is valid for Tibet, but it applies also to the Himalayan belt, which was very close culturally and uh, religiously from uh, central Tibet. Now Tibet became a big empire. It invaded um, part of China, part of what is today Xinjiang, uh, Eastern Turkestan, Northern India, and uh, I don't have to tell you about that, but it also spread that uh, culture and that religion of, of, of Tibet. And you aware, I don't have to say much about Nimagon, who divided uh, the, the king of uh, Western Tibet, who divided his kingdom into three. That was the birth of uh, Mariul, what is Ladakh today and uh, based in She, uh, the, the capital. And since then, uh, Ladakh, that was 10th century, since then, Ladakh has been uh, independent uh, country, though uh, for some time under the kingdom of Jammu and Kashmir and now India. Um, the, when the Tibet, uh, Buddhism disappeared for, from uh, Tibet because due to the, the 
rights between the Bon original faith and the Buddhism, but when it reappeared, it reappeared in on the border area in Ladakh. I don't know from Rinchenjampo, the main uh, uh, person, who, main monk who uh, propagate Buddhist for the second propagation. I don't know where he's born. Some people say he's born in Kinor, some people is born in Western Tibet. But what uh, it was culturally one uh, one area. Uh, whether from Alpi to Tabo to uh, Tsapalang and, and Toli. So that was a very, very rich, that was uh, like uh, we have in the West, the Renaissance. That was the Renaissance of Buddhism with a very rich art, painting, and uh, also uh, religious studies, uh, art, you know, and all this, uh, the origin comes from the south, from the subcontinent. It doesn't come from China like today. The regime in Beijing would like to prove it. So I think it's very important to uh, research more in this and to show that India and Ladakh and the Tibetan plateau have been culturally uh, one uh, one uh, entity, though politically they were uh, they were separate and uh, you have the amchi system of medicine that the government of india a few years ago has incorporated in the uh, so uh, so that, that's four tantras the gyuchi and uh, this come also for 80 90 percent from India, though it incorporated, I'm sure I've not studied uh, in depth the Amshi system, but uh, there's a lot of local practices also which were included in uh, with a base, the four tantras of Yuchi was a base from there. Many uh, other uh, uh, systems have been incorporated, including the local system, whether it's in Ladakh or in, in Tibet or elsewhere. And it included also Chinese, uh, for example, moksha abduction. The practice of moksha abduction comes from the uh, Chinese. Here you have one lady doctor doing the golden needle therapy. This probably also come from China. So it has incorporated different system, but for 80% it, it come from India. Now I just mentioned about Ladakh and archaeology. Uh, I wish that more archaeological research would would take place in Ladakh. I know there's some French um, archaeologists working, but uh, I think it's very important to show the uh, routes that the people were taking, going to uh, Central Asia, going to Kashgar, to Hotan, to uh, what is uh, Xinjiang today. And to show that really that uh, very, very special uh, place culturally and uh, how all these areas. So I think some research have started, uh, mainly with some French uh, archaeologists and the French government is involved also. But I think it should also, uh, some Ladakhi also have done research, but I think it should really uh, develop and just show the routes that people were, were taking. Now, uh, what happened that Buddhism disappeared from India? So the source 
whether it's for Ladakh or for uh, Tibet or for Bhutan, the source of, uh, of the knowledge of the Dharma disappeared. So once I asked the Dalai Lama what was the reason, he said there's four reasons according to him. Uh, the advent of Adi Shankara, who incorporated many, um, uh, many aspects of Buddhism into Hinduism, into Brahmanism. The shift of patronage, also the, the kings started, instead of uh, patronizing the uh, Buddhist um, monastery, the Vyaras, like uh, Odantapuri or uh, Nalanda or others, they uh, start, they shift in their patronage. And uh, one was, the, of course, the Muslim invasion, because they raised most of these viharas. Because, interestingly, uh, the Buddhism, uh, if you compare to Hinduism, Hinduism, in each house, you have a small uh, temple, you have a small deity, you have a small uh, family deity, and that you, you worship. Most of the Buddhism, I'm speaking generally, but most of the Buddhism was uh, around the big viharas, the big uh, monasteries uh, in northern India. And once the, these monasteries are destroyed, the, nothing was left. Well, uh, it was much more difficult to destroy Hinduism. So that's why the, the fourth reason that the Dalai Lama given me. Uh, now, for Ladakh, you have the Treaty of uh, Tigmotsang in uh, after first war is uh, between Ladakh and the Mongol Ladakh and Tibet. Uh, there was a f f treaty, and they say they speak about the boundary, the boundary fixed in the beginning when uh, Nimagon gave a kingdom to each of his three sons shall be maintained. Here again, in the different classification I've given, that is a customary uh, border means people knew that there's a Nala between uh, the, now there's two part and then Chok, there's a Chinese Dem Chok and uh, Indian Dem Chok, but there's a Nala in between. And um, you cross that Nala if you're, uh, you're, you're in Tibet, you're to, uh, going toward Tashigong. That, that was quite clear, but there's no map of it. And uh, Chinese uh, saying they no map, they start claiming uh, other places. And the second treaty, I briefly mentioned it, after the Sikh Tibet war, war uh, from 41 and to 42, uh, Zawar Singh was defeated. He was killed near Purong, in, near the trade junction with, uh, with Nepal. And, but the treaty was signed, and it was reiterated that the border before the, the beginning of war uh, we, uh, it will be the border. We shall never at present nor in the future have anything to do or interfere with all the boundaries of Ladakh and its surrounding as uh, from the ancient times. So uh, this treaty was signed and it was clear and nobody objected to it and nobody asked also where is the map? Is the like this Zarovar fort actually is in uh, today in China. It's just the other side of, of Shushul. But nobody bothered about it because, and nobody bothered also for the uh, ranges on the side. If you uh, go along the Indus from Demchok to Dongti, uh, one side you have the Kailash range, 
and the other side you have the uh, Ladakh range. Nobody claim this uh, range belongs to me or this uh, range, uh, it belongs to my country because people were traders or uh, pilgrims or monks and they would go, they would follow a route. So it was more important a route that, that a border. You follow the route and at one point you cross into the other uh, countries. So that's why I was saying that these um, archaeological research or studies should also include the study of the routes because routes in, in the when, for example, the caravan would go from Le to Lhasa, the Lordship, nobody bothered that this uh, Kailash range or this uh, Kailash range was clearly in Ladakh, but uh, nobody bothered the peaks on the range belong to uh, Ladakh or belong to Tibet. <coughs> so the old trade route was very important for both countries. You have, for example, in, um, in Uttarakhand today, you have heard about seven or eight hundred villages which are ghost villages. These villages have been totally emptied because once the trade was closed in 62 after the war, everything stopped. All the caravans stopped going. This uh, Radu family that uh, Professor Siddiq Swaid's family and uh, Abdul Vahid family from Ladakh um, were trading with entire uh, Tibet, uh, Central Asia, everywhere, and they were just crossing. And that was the life of the areas. That was the life of Ladakh. That was the life of uh, Imachal Pradesh, Kinor, Lahore, uh, of Uttarakhand today. Uh, all these buses were not. Uh, barrier to stop people. They were actually uh, avenues where the trade, were, the trade caravan and people and pilgrim and all were passing. And at that time, there is no passport. So in this area of um, Western Tibet, there was on, not only that uh, very important Indian trade uh, agency in uh, Gartok, but there were also many trade marts. <coughs> and each group of village, for example, from um, uh, Uttarakhand was assigned a particular trademark and the tra traders were going there, spending six months and coming back. <coughs> Usually they had a Tibetan name when they were going uh, in summer in Tibet and they had the Indian name when they come back. Similarly, in Ladakh, people would go to Tashigang and Gartok. So they, there was an intensive uh, exchanges cultural exchanges, religious exchanges, economic uh, trade exchanges, and but there was never a question that of fighting for a border. And the other uh, issue that uh, in the uh, Tigmotan Treaty of uh, 1684, <coughs> a place, a village was given to uh, Ladakh and um, Minsar, which is near the the Kailash Tangreboche and Kailash once Kailash Mount Kailash, and this um, village was supposed to uh, collect money to pay for the butter lamps and uh, all the 
maintaining the some of the temples around uh, the Mount Kailash. And um, in 1984, there was the negotiation for the Panchil. Uh, Nehru said, please don't uh, mention, we, we don't want anybody to, uh, we don't want to claim any areas. But uh, legally, if you look at the, uh, it has never been settled in the sense that I think legally is uh, still part of Ladakh, though there is no question or no possibility. Actually, the the political officer in Sikkim was looking after this area uh, in the 50s. I did done some research in the Na National Archive. I found a few, quite a few files. They said uh, we can't collect the tax, we can't defend this area. So just forget about it. It still belongs to Ladakh, but nobody can do anything about it. But it's just a historical uh, anecdote about these areas. <clears throat> I said no map. I've looked for years about for to find maps of uh, all maps of Ladakh and uh, also uh, Arunachal. I mean, at that time, Nifal. And uh, I found only this map, which are kept in the British Museum in London. And you can see uh, Tashigang. Um, the south is is up and the north is down. No, so you find Tashigang. So, but this mark again, there's no border uh, about this mark. Uh, 285 is Tashigang, and uh, 286 is Demchok. And there's a Demchok Samba, but I think uh, the bridge, but it doesn't exist anymore. And after that, you go uh, deeper in, in, into Ladakh. So, uh, the fact there was no uh, map. Uh, Somehow, there was no border dispute at the same time. It was a gentleman agreement between uh, the, the neighbors. And there was a relatively good neighborhood. Everyone was uh, own uh, perception, but, uh, but there was a generally good agreement. Another map of Gartok and Gargonsa, which is uh, Western Tibet. So apart from that map, I've never found. I'm very happy if some of you students find uh, a map in, I don't know, it's some archive or in Jammu or in Srinagar or even in Ladakh. Uh, but uh, I've never heard about maps. I'll be very happy if you find maps of this uh, this area. And uh, so uh, I mentioned about Chimla Conference. And um, for six months, they, they, they met. And um, something interesting for Ladakh that which is not very well known. When the maps were exchanged, okay, the, in nine, March 1914, the Mount line was signed between Mount and uh, uh, Chatra. But on the same map, you have the end of the map. I don't know if you see where the cursor is. It is shows the map in uh, north of Ladakh. And actually, it corresponds to the Johnson line, which is the Indian claim. Uh, of uh, 1865, and the uh, Chinese at that time accepted that map and never objected. I think nobody told them, but uh, probably they didn't know also extremely well that area because there was no Chinese that in 1914 in, in this area. But this map shows that uh, 
So I mentioned the, the signature. Now I come to the uh, only disputed place in Ladakh. And uh, bas basically it was that, uh, that area, Dokpo Karpo, north of the lake, was disputed because of grazing. The Ladakhi grazer was saying it belongs to Ladakh and the Tibetan, the Garpen, the governor of uh, Western Tibet, uh, it, be it belongs to Tibet. So there were negotiations every uh, two, three years is a negotiation. The Ladakhi, the people from um, Srinagar would come and the British resident would come and as well as the Garpen of uh, Western Tibet. And uh, at the time of independence, the dispute was not solved, but practically uh, Tibetan were uh, occupying it. Therefore, uh, after when Chinese came in after 1959, uh, they, they, they took that area. But it was the only place. So uh, other places like we speak about uh, um, where the Garwan, where the confluence of the Chok and the Garwan River. There's no dis no discussion, no not even question of uh, grazing right or anything like that. Similarly, for the fingers area, you see the fingers. There's not places that you can send the yak. So nobody was really there was no formal claim of this uh, area and that's uh, issue which uh, culminated in uh, may of 2020 three years ago uh, with china saying started advancing the line which has never been uh, marked and uh, to end um, the first part today uh, again there was extensive uh, exchanges and that uh, Swami Pravananda, he did a very uh, detailed, uh, um, all these books are in PDF, actually, you can find them, of the Kailasha area and all the pilgrims. But what I wanted to say, these pilgrims, they didn't carry any dark car or driving license or any paper or any photo, ID photo or anything. You could freely uh, try, uh, cross these uh, passes go the other side, go to the, uh, Nari and uh, come back the same way. Uh, nobody would check. There was no police because uh, one of the first things that uh, Nehru did, it, he put the police. That's why today you have the ITBP on the border. Uh, you created a police force uh, for guarding the border. But And um, later on, the army came. And today you see how many uh, divisions you have uh, in Ladakh, uh, one full corps and four divisions. So, the, but at that time, they're not even police. There's not a police and uh, people could travel. Uh, the last consul general in, uh, in uh, Kashgar, in uh, Xinjiang, um, was expelled by the Chinese in, uh, in December 1950. And he crossed on his own. Uh, from uh, Kashgar to Leh. He walked for one month. <clears throat> Nobody knew, knew where he was, but he didn't meet anybody on the road. And uh, there was no question of stopping him. The, uh, even the China is, it's only after 1960, 60, 61, 62, they start posting uh, border guards and, and like that. And uh, Colonel Chen Wang Chen, who was awarded twice Mahavir Chakra, uh, is uh, one of the uh, person when he was serving in the army who uh, put up 
set up this first post. But till then, that time, there was no post and there's no border and there's no uh, real issue till the Chinese came in Xinjiang and in Tibet. So that is the first part of my... Uh, um, thank you, Claude, for your very interesting and insightful talk on a very important topic. Important because we are uh, from a political science department, but also we are from the area, we know the importance. We, we used to, you know, uh, come across the importance of border day-to-day -day life. Thank you very much for your uh, interesting talk. Uh, you talk about a uh, researcher, French researcher in Ladakh. His name is Quintin. He's still in Leh. He's doing uh, research on archaeology uh, in Ladakh. Now, uh, I'll, there are some questions from the participants and uh, some uh, comments also. One of the comments is uh, by Tempa Dargal. A very interesting how Buddhism played a role and continues to play a role in strategic borderlands. He has a question for you, sir. How can we utilize the art, be it Tibetan or Indian art, as a so-past pass to convince the world that the contested borderlands is their territory? So this is his question. I think it's very important. I mentioned several times archaeology, but um, also art and uh, architecture. And uh, Western Tibet is so close from the from Ladakh as well as uh, other areas like in Kinor and all. So more research. I don't know if the government realizes this. As you're aware that ASI sometimes is little uh, administrative to put it uh, nicely um, and they don't realize and but i think it's uh, it's uh, government slowly realize that there's a border issue uh, mainly after may of 2020 so i mentioned for example these uh, villages which are becoming empty now they have started government vibrant village including in Ladakh. many of this that is a very good scheme in india should really help um, these villages and should also uh, help to restore the Gompa study. I think more scholarly work has to be done to uh, study uh, migration also, uh, art, culture, from where these artists would come. When they went to Tsaparan or Toling, they were coming from India, no? So, uh, and you can see the influence of the Kashmiri art, many of them. It is true that in uh, Eastern Tibet, in Kham, you see more influence of the Chinese, but all the uh, Nari area, it's all the influence of uh, Kashmir, Ladakh, and all. So, this should be really documented by uh, scholars, no? And, uh, of course, it has a political value, a soft uh, now we speak about soft power, but uh, China is doing it very, very systematically, like the uh, excavation. It should be done in, and also I think it's very important to study the pre-Buddhist area. Uh, what are the migration? Where, 
could people live in uh, near Pangongso, for example, when the, the water was salted? Some people, I remember about 20 years ago, had studied the uh, pollens which were on the Pangongso so that they could see, uh, they could uh, find out what was the climate at that time. Apparently, uh, the entire Indus Sarasvati um, civilization disappeared because of climate change. There was a change of climate. It was in uh, in in this uh, what is Pakistan today. Uh, the Sarasvati River disappeared, but it was also on the Tibetan Plateau. While uh, researches have been done on the on on the Indus Sarasvati side, included the, uh, how the river disappeared. No. no no research has been done in Ladakh or in, in uh, Tibet. There was one fellow, I used to be in contact with him, uh, Professor Vincent Beleza. I think he had, he had done a lot of research on the um, stone, uh, stone uh, painting in, in, in Ladakh and well in Tibet. And uh, that was interesting that more people should do this research and uh, the government should facilitate because unless the government facilitate uh, excavation, it will it will be uh, very difficult. So it's not only uh, art from the second uh, propagation of Buddhism from Rinchen Sambo's time, which is important, which has been in some way uh, Alchi or Tabo had been researched, but also before that, before that, and so these areas have been closed, like. Nobody study really the uh, migration of the, of the um, Amchi system. No, uh, the history of the Amchi system uh, from the burn and how it uh, evolved, how it incorporated the burn uh, tradition and all this. So I think uh, I think it's up to you in Ladakh University to do this thing. But you need the help of the government because, uh, especially for excavation, you need all the permission and everything. But it's, I think it's fascinating what happened uh, 2000 BC with the climate change, what happened in, in the life of the people in Ladakh, or which area were inhabited. And, uh... Thank you. So there is another question uh, from Jikmet Spaldon. What is the most dramatic change witnessed in the border outline between Ladakh and Tibet when Namgyal dynasty was replaced by Nima Gon's Lachen dynasty? You see, the, I think the, the most dramatic is, uh, is uh, 1950 when the, the Chinese enter uh, first Turkestan. Uh, and uh, I'll go. I'll go to it to my in my second part. And uh, a few months later, uh, Western Tibet. And uh, because before you could speak with your neighbor, you could discuss, you could negotiate. Dopogarbo, uh, you discussed for 30, 35 years. Uh, nothing much happened. The grazer keeps sending their yats, so, but there's no uh, war. Look at what has happened in May uh, 2020, no? How many? Uh, 70,000 uh, Javan and officers on both sides, on each side, no? 
So that that is a most dramatic for the border. I think only when His Holiness Dilama cross uh, in uh, what in Nifa in Arunachal today in March of 1959, uh, that was the beginning of the border issue with China because before China. First of all, they don't know very well where was the border. In the 50s, they start um, establishing their presence in the Tibetan plateau, but they didn't know very well where, where, where was the border. And But in, after March 59, they were, I think, probably very upset that uh, India has received the dilemma so well. And um, the first um, incident uh, took place in Spangur Gap, in uh, 1959, as well in Longju in uh, Arunachal Pradesh in uh, in August 1959, and uh, immediately after there was a series, a long series of letters be, be, uh, exchanged between Nehru and uh, Chuenlai, and that's the beginning of the border issue, and it it came to 1960 the the negotiation that I mentioned. But all these I will cover in the second part. That so the turning point, the most dramatic change was uh, change of neighbor, the uh, new neighbor coming in uh, China with the uh, Eastern Turkestan, there were trade. There was a uh, trade to Central Asia, all like the Radu family, they were used to, uh, they had uh, uh, go down in uh, Kashgar, go down in uh, Central Asia, everywhere, in Lhasa also, and the caravan were going Nobody has anything, a passport or anything like that. And uh, life went on without a border. But the border came alive in, uh, I would say, uh, September, October uh, 1959. I will cover it next time. Okay. So there is another question, sir. Uh, it's from Punzok Namgyal. How far you think that the present Chinese government is involved in promoting Buddhism? Yeah, Chinese present Chinese government is not involved in promoting Buddhism, and uh, but they see that politically they can use Buddhism, and for example, they have their own selected their own Panchen Lama that they extensively use. Uh, for uh, their own propaganda. Now, uh, I don't know if you're aware, I won't go into the detail, but there's uh, every five years, the, there's this Tibet Work Forum. It's a meeting with uh, 300 or 250 or 300 officials, the, all the top officials. It means the Standing Committee of the Politburo, the Politburo, uh, half of the Central Committee, the Central Military Commission, all the big, big shots in, in, they meet in, in Peking and they decide the, uh, the policy for Tibet for the next five years. So in 2015, they decided to do these Xiaokong villages, uh, border villages. So now you have six or 700 villages. Now the last, uh, that was the seventh uh, work forum, they decided to sinicization of the religion in, in, in China. So it includes Buddhism, it includes Islam. That's why people in, uh, in Xinjiang, Xinjiang are revolting. And it includes also the Catholic religion. And um, but in Tibet, uh, the 
this extensive campaign led by the Chinese Panchem Lama, the, the, the boy who has been selected, chosen by, uh, by the Chinese government, after putting the one selected by the Dalai Lama in, in uh, jail, or we don't know his, uh, his fate, since 25 years, we don't know. So they selected their own Panchem Lama, and they one one uh, objective only, Sinicization of Tibetan Buddhism. What means Sinicization means that the Tibetan Buddhism has to be first answer to the Communist Party and follow first the rule. Xi Jinping always speaks about the rule of law. Rule of law means the law of the party. So there is no freedom. If you look at these uh, villages, these um, six or seven hundred Xiaogang village, and there are few also uh, on the Ladakh border, like uh, in uh, Demchok, Chinese Demchok, or Chakang, one place also on the other side of the Kailashren. These villages, they have no shirtan, uh, no stupa, no prayer flags, no, uh, sometimes they have a small gompa, but it's more for uh, tourists because now Tibet lives mainly with tourism. They say that before COVID, 40 million of Chinese Han have come from the mainland and visited Tibet. You know how extensive the infrastructure, including uh, the, the train between uh, Lhasa and Ningchi, uh, the train now goes to Chigatse very soon. Uh, in 2030-35, there will be a train going to uh, across the Akshashin. So they bring tourism because they say tourism will bring revenue, will make people slightly better off, and people will be happy. And but they but but they should remain communist. And uh, so uh, we can't really speak about uh, promoting Buddhism. It's promoting Chinese Buddhism with uh, communist uh, characteristic. Uh, so there is another question from uh, Tenzin Sherab. Can you uh, uh, provide us the latest updates on Chinese military strength near the Ladakh and the central sector? Uh, I'd there's about the same number, both sides, India and China, I would say 60,000, 70,000. But um, I think what is important to understand is the infrastructure that the Chinese have developed to reach, like to reach uh, Pangongso, to reach Galvan, to reach Depsong, all the number of uh, helipads they have built and uh, I have a lot of maps of this, this uh, development. And today, because of satellite imagery uh, from abroad, we can have a very clear picture uh, of the, this development. So more than the number of uh, Javan and more, more, more number of troops is the, uh, the infrastructure the development. India has done a lot. Uh, I think now the, the road is going, uh, I think to, from Leh you can go to Nyoma by a, a nice star road. I think this uh, this year they will do uh, Nyoma to Chushul, 
uh, Nyoma to Denchok also will be completed. India has done a lot, but uh, in Ladakh is slightly different from the other areas like Arunachal or Sikkim. But generally speaking, the terrain is much more difficult on the Indian side. That is particularly true in uh, Arunachal Pradesh and in also, as well in uh, Uttarakhand. You know what has happened in Uttarakhand with the floods. Uh, Dr. Sanomle was saying about uh, you have uh, rain in Ladakh, but uh, it's very, very bad. In, uh, so all the roads, which are strategic roads, are being destroyed. China is doing, uh, have a rule. Actually, it's a law. They, they have dual use for everything, which uh, in particular for infrastructure. If uh, airport is built, there's, for example, there's a new airport in Purang, where uh, Zarawar Singh was killed no, in the, the trijunction with Nepal. That airport should be uh, used the standard, the military standard, as well as the civilian standard. Every piece of architecture, whether it's an airport, a lipad, a new road, the railway lines, everything should be uh, done for dual use. It's uh, low in, in China. So it makes it uh, very, very uh, difficult to compete, for India to compete with, uh, with China. Though now you are aware that uh, India has been relaxing the rule. I have been telling for since 15, 20 years, you should relax the uh, um, ILP, the Indian Inner Line Permit, mainly in Arunachal, but also uh, this uh, protected area permit. So now I read uh, two, three weeks ago that uh, uh, foreign tourists can go to Amle. I believe there's a fashion show in Umlingla which is highest, uh, is higher than Kardungla. So I don't know if it's going to take place uh, or it has taken place, of, um, the highest fashion show in the world. So encouraging tourists. My argument was that this area, uh, Indian area, you should let, uh, they should not disturb the defense forces, but let people see this area. If you stop people, the China said, you have a doubt. You're not sure that is your area. Similarly, in, in Arunachal, not, government has really, since two, three years, relaxed the, the, the perm, permit for the border area. So I think it's a good thing. It's good also to bring some, it helps people. Last year, I went to Shushul, and I asked the villagers, the, they said, we want tourists, we want to have a homestay, we will get some revenue. We don't get enough from agriculture. So that is the, uh, the good side of the bad uh, thing, which is a confront military confrontation. But India had to look seriously at the issue of development for this border area. And uh, they say we would like our uh, children to go till 12 standard to uh, Shushul, why should they go to Leh? But it will take time to pick up and to orga organize and everything. But first, if you have roads, if you have telecommunications, uh, 
people will not go for taxi driver in lay or like that they will they will do homestay and like that so i think it's changing it's changing slowly but in china in china it's always changing faster so is, we can't do anything about that because the regime is such that you don't have a local uh, uh, mla or local uh, person from the elected from the ladakh council or like that there's no democracy democracy is slightly slower but ultimately it is much much more stable look at what happened yesterday uh, to the the minister of external affairs of china who has been sacked and nobody knows uh, where he has gone so that is an issue so that is a part two of my presentation uh, two days back i stopped independence so now i will take on from the from that point in on can you hear properly Yes, so yes. I, I called the British legacy. In uh, August 15, 1947, the British left the uh, subcontinent, but they, let, uh, they left with uh, leaving a lot of problems uh, to India. And uh, one of the problems was, of course, the northern border uh, facing Tibet as well as Xinjiang. So now the British were very good the strategists and uh, just before leaving after the end of the World War II in 1946 uh, one year before they left they uh, made a plan the general staff in London made a plan what would happen if Tibet is invaded by China or by Russia at that time they thought that maybe Russia would uh, in, in invade uh, Tibet. So they did. They put on the same level Soviet Union and and China. So they drew a line. So uh, if the uh, Soviet or the Chinese cross that line, and at that time it was nationalist China, it was not Mao Zedong. We would uh, military inter interfere, but we want the support and the goodwill of the Tibetan where they were the British were ready to interfere but with the condition that the Tibetan would help them so that remained in the file that but I, I was I had a good luck to find that file but it's an interesting uh, because we'll see that uh, when the in 1950 when the Chinese walk in Tibet uh, it was no question for the government of India to intervene militarily Now, uh, another part of the uh, legacy, which is quite uh, interesting, which is not very well known, but which uh, had a very serious consequence for India, all the map of the Survey of India, the British had uh, set up an office in 19th century in Dehradun, and they had started map, map to map the entire uh, subcontinent nowhere they marked the border they 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 marked the contour like the ranges on that map you see the accession and you see the Kulum, Kunlum range but you don't see any border though uh, in 1864 johnson had drew a line including the accession but as a result of the this british legacy of not marking the border India from 1947 to 1954 uh, published and printed on its own map boundary undefined 
and this would have incalculable consequences because China would start claiming all this area, uh, arguing that you don't know where is your border, you write on your own map, uh, border undefined. And it's only in 1954 that Nehru realized that uh, mistake and published uh, what is today uh, still today, the political map of India showing the map uh, of as it is today, including Aksashin as as well as Gilgit Baltistan. In 2019, after the abrogation of uh, Article 370 of the Constitution, um, India published a new map, but it's exactly uh, the same border that uh, 1954, but at that. At that time, in uh, 2019, uh, Ladakh had become a UT as well, and uh, GNK had become a UT. That was the only difference. And the UT of uh, Ladakh include Gilgit-Baltistan. Now, something happened at the time of independence. Uh, the British thought that to have divided the subcontinent was a good thing for them, but they should definitely ally with uh, the, the Pakistan. And uh, as a matter of fact, the chief of staff, uh, you have to realize that in August 47 till 19, uh, 1848, for one year, the, all the commander-in-chief, Okilnek in India, Grasse in, in, um, in Pakistan, were British. And they decided that to uh, offer Gilgit Baltistan to uh, to Pakistan. And one major brown who was commanding the Ladakh scouts um, at that time uh, took over Gilgit and gave it away. While legally, according to the resolution of the UN, the 1947 and uh, the 19 August 48 resolution, Gilgit Baltistan was part of the uh, Indian territory. Still today, India claimed this territory on its map but still it is in the possession of Pakistan. So it changed tremendously for the border because most of the issue which took place after would have not taken place if that border had been if the Gilgit-Baltistan had come back to GNK state. Now, uh, same thing happened for the Siachen, Glacier and the, the Saltoro Ridge uh, in 1949. Uh, commission uh, bipartite between Pakistan and India met in Karachi and they decided that the end of the border was that point eight, uh, 9842 because it was too difficult to survey beyond. So they said and uh, north of the north to the glaciers it will uh, be not demarcated. As a result uh, in 1984 Pakistan start claiming and India moved very fast and occupied the entire Salto Ridge. And till, uh, still today, this entire area uh, has been under the India's control, though uh, logistically it's a very, very uh, difficult. But again, that resolution of the UN of um, uh, August 13 of 1948 says that uh, all the territory of uh, uh, GNK uh, belong to India, but if uh, the Pakistani withdrew from the place that they have occupied in Gilgit-Baltistan as well in uh, 
the so-called Azad Kashmir, I mean, Mirpur and Muzaffarabad, there will be the possibility, if both parties agree, of having a plebiscite and decide for the future of this area. But it was very clear that the two uh, issues were separated. First, the, the, all the entire area, Gilgit, Baltistan, and uh, Mirpur, Muzaffarabad are part of the uh, territory of Jammu and Kashmir. And Later on, they could be after this role of the Pakistani, something they never did. So now, someone asked day before yesterday, what is a turning point? What I think the main turning point is the annexation of Eastern Pakistan and the occupation of Tibet, and it went very fast. You know that on October first, um, nineteen forty-nine, Mao Zedong declared the People's Republic of China from the Rostrum in uh, Tiananmen Square. And he moved extremely fast. A uh, couple of weeks after, he moved the Sixth Army and the Second Army uh, to annex Eastern Pakistan, uh, Eastern uh, Turkestan, which at that time was under uh, the control of the Soviet. And for some reason that I've never been able to find out, and I don't think anybody has found out exactly, Stalin agree to Mao Zedong occupying the entire Eastern Turkestan, which became the Xinjiang. But uh, it would have tremendous consequences for India. The, on the uh, November 30th, for example, the, um, the People Liberation Army uh, reached Shaibullah at the edge of the, the Aksachin, and uh, they occupied uh, Kashgar, Khotan, all, all these places. And it's quite a remarkable military operation which has not been described very often. But in two months' time, they occupied all their entire territory and uh, an area which had never been Chinese, which was directly under uh, the control of Soviet Union, uh, became uh, part of the People's Republic of China. Now, what are the reasons I said I, I, I don't know, but I think there was some sort of a deal between Stalin and Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong at that time in the December 1949, January 1950 was in Moscow. He stayed for two, three, two, three months in Moscow. And I think there was some deal that uh, that uh, Mongolia, outer Mongolia would remain uh, under the Soviet and uh, the Chinese could occupy temporarily uh, Eastern Turkestan. At that time, the Soviet had so, so many uh, um, experts and people posted that they saw that they would do, Mao Zedong would do the dirty work and once uh, they will take over the control. But it opened the gate to Northern India, to Ladakh, to Aksachin, and as well as to uh, Western Tibet, Rutok, and Gartok. Without this uh, military operation, Mao Zedong would have not been able to take the entire Western Tibet. Now, uh, one year later, uh, Mao Zedong invaded Tibet. He crossed the Pur Yangtze on the October 7, 1950, and uh, from three directions, he moved towards Chamdo. In about 
12 days time, Chamdo fell and it was the capital of the Kham province and it became part of the People's Republic of China. And it's mainly the 18 army which came from uh, from Sichuan, from Yan'an and Gansi, who occupied Chamdo. The governor of Chamdo of, of Kham, uh, Nabo Nawang Jingmei, surrendered without fighting. There was no fight and uh, there was about three or four thousand Tibetan soldiers. They fought, but they were not at all equipped and uh, trained to fight a war against the People's Liberation Army. For Mao Zedong, it was the first phase. He wanted to do a military operation in Eastern Tibet, and the second operation would be a diplomatic one, and it resulted in 17 points agreement, which were forced on the Tibetan in May 51 in Beijing, and uh, the even the seals of the Tibetan government would be forged, and uh, it resulted uh, by in the control of the entire Tibetan plateau. Now, what is interesting is uh, your side, uh, the Ladakh side and the, the Nari side, the Western Tibet. Uh, on August 50, uh, August of 1950, 126 cavalry men only. 136, sorry, cavalrymen invaded and took over. So it just shows how weak was the Tibetan state. There was no fight. There was no nobody to defend the entire Nari, which is a huge landmass, and to come at the gate of Ladakh. So 136, and uh, in the recent years, they have put a big museum in Nari, and uh, they have done a lot of films showing that the heroes of uh, Western Tibet who uh, took control over Western Tibet. The two governors of Nari, the Garpen, just surrendered without any fight and start serving and helping the Chinese troops. Later on, more troops came, but uh, by that time, by October 1950, uh, they were surrounding the Aksashin and, and Ladakh. Now, in the early 50s, um, the border issue emerged, but in the meantime, for a few years, the situation continues as it was in Lhasa. Lhasa had a full-fledged mission up to 1952. Later on, it had a consulate general in Lhasa, India had. And they were, uh, for three years, Mr. Richardson, the British, uh, former British uh, head of the mission, became the Indian head of the mission because India had, had nobody who had the knowledge of Tibet like Mr. Richardson had. Later on, Mr. Shumul Sina, who is at the bottom here, from the Foreign Service, replaced him. And he was an extremely brilliant uh, uh, diplomat. He kept warning uh, the Nehru government and the Ministry of External Affairs that something China is going to invade and that would be a huge change for the borders of India, but nobody really listened to him. In Gantok, there was a political officer, also an extremely brilliant um, Indian civil service ICS officer, Arishwar Dayal. And uh, his wife is the only lady who played in Wimbledon in the, in, in the 50s, actually. It's a very interesting story. That, uh, and um, when the Chinese uh, came to Lhasa, the Dalai Lama had to 
leave Lhasa and take refuge in the Chumbi Valley. He was given a guard of honor by the Maratha Light Infantry, which is called the, the escort, the military escort, which was posted, the Indian military escort, which was posted in Tibet. So at that time, India, the military escort had three trade agencies and a full-fledged mission. Now, the other big change after the first change of 1950, the second big change is the Panchil Agreement in 1954, because for the first time, India admitted that uh, uh, Tibet was part of China. And the title of the Panchil Agreement, it is known of the, by the name of Panchil, because uh, uh, preamble was... Uh, was inserted in the, in the agreement, but the agreement, it's mainly for the trade as well as the pilgrimage in Tibet. And um, that agreement for the first time, India, the government of India recognized Tibet as part of Tibet in the title. Uh, the agreement is between the Republic of India and the Tibet reg region of the uh, People's Republic of China. So that was the end, legal end of uh, Tibet, at least as far as India is concerned. But uh, interestingly, that cartoon of Shankar shows the uh, violation of the Indian territory, the transgression, thousands and thousands of transgressions would take place between 1954, the first one is, was in Barauti in the central sector, till 1962. So that was the end of an independent nation, Tibet, and that was the beginning of the problem for uh, northern India and for the border. Now, uh, something very interesting I, I could find in the Nehru papers, in the uh, Nehru memorial, all the Nehru papers related, all the transcript of all the telegrams, cables, and reports uh, during the negotiation for the Panchil. And the Chinese, from the day first, it lasted five months, the, the negotiation, were adamant to mention Demchok. And the Indian negotiator couldn't understand. And at the end, in April, some just a few days before they finally signed, they, the Indian ambassador, Mr. Raghavan, got very, very upset with the Chinese. They shouted at each other, why you don't want to put them chalk? What is, your, what is the problem? They said, them Chinese said, them, them chalk, and the entire Ladakh is a disputed area. And that's the reason. While they put six passes, like Niti, La, or Manala, or uh, uh, other passes in, um, in Uttarakhand, they refused to put anything uh, about the border between Tachigang and Demchok. And later on, a few years later, they, they would uh, claim the entire territory along the Indus between the Kailash Rand and the the Ladakh Range up to Dungti, and still today they are claiming uh, this area. Though in the 1942 treaty, Shushul Treaty, I mentioned it two days back, that the boundary were very clear that Demchok, the Nala, was the border. We, you see, the Chinese started building that road in 1952-53, and um, in 1957 it was inaugurated. Now, uh, usually the government of India said that they have not noticed the road. 
And uh, but in fact, when uh, Captain Rajendranath, he became major general later, claimed he witnessed the, build, the starting of the road in '52. Um, I say that that royal battle uh, in during the negotiation for Panchil in '54. In '55, there was Lakshman Singh Jangpongi, one uh, officer from originally from uh, Uttarakhand. He was posted as an Indian trade agent in Gartok, and he discovered that China was building the road, and he was told by the Chinese they were building the road. But the government, especially Krishna Menon who became the um, RM, the um, defense minister in 57, always refused to uh, acknowledge. In 55, when Britisher Signe Widnall was sent by the military intelligence, and he discovered the same thing. He confirmed that the, the road was being built. Again, it was ignored. In 57, when um, Colonel Bassera from the 1st Battalion of the Kumaon Regiment went and he saw the road and he came back and reported in, in Delhi that he saw the road and when he, they went to uh, Krishna Menon uh, he was told that he must be a Chinese uh, American agent trying to uh, spoil the friendship with China so it was rejected time and again and in 1958 the, uh, you got that new new uh, slide a note was given by the foreign secretary Subhamalat to the Chinese ambassador. It says it has come to the government of India notice that the road had been constructed by the by China across the eastern part of Ladakh region of the GNK, which is part of India. The completion of which was announced in September uh, 57. So one year after the completion of the road uh, once the road was in service for one year the government started protested and they said it is a matter of surprise and regrets that the chinese government should have constructed the road through indisputably indian territory without first obtaining the permission of the government of india and without even informing the government of india so it was so weak that that protest that china got the green light go on with that road. And today it is very doubtful that if they ever return that road because that road is so important for them to link their two newly acquired province of Xinjiang and Tibet. It was the easiest road. It was uh, across uh, uh, the desert and there's not many passes and it was easier to. But the years the, after 56, 57, Life continued, at least for the monasteries. In um, 1960, there was about 400 uh, Ladakhi monks in different monasteries. And uh, Kushok Bakula uh, went uh, to, to Tibet in 57. He went to each of these monasteries. He, he, uh, he met the Chinese uh, representative at that time. And at that time, they, nobody foresaw that uh, there would be the uprising of 59 and uh, subsequently the, um, the revolt of the, of the Tibetan all over Tibet. So uh, something interesting, actually, if you look at the Indian Consul General in Lhasa, Mr. P.N. Cole, most of his work was uh, on the Ladakhi monks because China said that these monks 
are Chinese. So the Indian consul would say, no, they are, uh, they are part of GNK, they are part of Ladakh. And it took nearly one year for releasing these monks and le letting them come back to Ladakh. And uh, Kushok Bakula, of course, was very instrumental in pushing once he had gone back to GNK. And uh, at that time, also, Taksan Rempa, the head lama of Emis, um, had, was studying in Tibet. And it's very unfortunate that Tule is still in Lhasa. I think um, the Ladakhi have tried to get him back. He came once or twice, but uh, today he's in Ladakh, and I think China is not planning to let him go. So just to say that despite the road, despite the tension which was starting brewing in Tibet, the uh, revolt in eastern Tibet in Kham, life went on for a, a few years and uh, there was a heavy Ladakhi present, but also Bhutanese and also Nepali presence in Lhasa. So it's only in 1960 that China, for the first time, and actually the only time, published a, a, a map of their claim all along the border, uh, which is including even uh, Gilgit Baltistan to the tri junction in um, of, with Afghanistan to uh, the Wakan corridor here. So uh, Chinese policy has been that is my interpretation, but. Uh, you can agree or disagree, but as I see it, first help yourself. You take the Ashashin, and after they say, we are ready for the negotiation. They start saying in 58, 59, we are ready for negotiation. The first clash, they took some uh, uh, Indian officers from the sappers, Ayangar. When Captain Ayangar, they made him prisoner, they kept him several months in in, in uh, in China and finally they returned. Uh, I mentioned uh, the, the first clash in, in near the Pangongso in uh, Spangongso uh, soon after the Dalai Lama had crossed. And other places also the border uh, started. All these clashes, except the 58 when they caught the younger are linked with the dilemmas taking refuge and India welcoming his holiness in India. Another feature of the Chinese policy is they changed the post. Uh, I will show later one map of 1956, a map of 1957, 59, sorry, and the map uh, after the war of 62. Uh, you see that uh, road that uh, sorry that uh, claim the chinese claim have changed and again in may 2020 they start they try to change in five places uh, another feature is to change the name of the place like here you have parigas which is uh Demchok, but i don't think uh, uh, any tibetan or radaki ever heard of parigas so that goes from dongti to Demchok. All this place you can they they they've start claiming, and basically they do what their interest, what their strategic interest uh, dictates. And uh, unfortunately, India has never followed this principle, though it's changing. But uh, as a result, they start grabbing more and more land, 
and maybe they thought that in May 2020 they could again do it few kilometers in there to get a better strategic position. This time it did not really work. One of the issues there has never been um, any agreed border between Tibet and, and Ladakh, or Tibet and Jammu and Kashmir, or between uh, China and India. Um, I mentioned uh, two days back the convention between the Great Britain and uh, the Manchu in, of 1890. It was repudiated by Tibet because Tibet was not part of it. Uh, similarly, for the uh, trade uh, regulation uh, in 1893, uh, when Yongas Ban invaded Tibet in 1904, there was a convention. It was repudiated by China. In 1906, there was a, a convention between the Great Britain and China again. It was repudiated by Tibet. Um, that uh, only the agreement of 1908 was agreed by the three parties. And of course, 1914, I mentioned the Shimla uh, conference and the MacMahon line. Uh, uh, China never accepted that line. And uh, it was not ratified by China. In 51, uh, India was not informed about the 17 points agreement, though there's a clause, an article of the Shimla Convention saying that if any issue pertaining to Tibet should be jointly discussed by China, India and Tibet. So it was not respected. And um, in the case of the Panchil Agreement that I just mentioned, it's quite shameful, it's quite shameful, but in, Tibet was never informed about it. And um, I've read all the exchange of uh, in the discussion between the Consul General in Lhasa and in, in the, the PO in Gantok and uh, the Ministry. They've never, they've never informed Tibet that they were negotiating on their back. The government of India was negotiating with China on the back. So the big change was the Dalai Lama when it came to India. So. In 1956, because uh, His Holiness Dalai Lama, His Holiness Panchem Lama were for the 2,500 years of Buddha, they came and spent a couple of months in, in, in India. Chuen uh, Lai came. He was very nervous about the presence of the Dalai Lama and the Panchem Lama in India. He came and he, there was a map. He showed a map which is representing the Chinese claim. And that map is far um, east compared to today's claim or the, the, where the clash took place in Galvan or Hot Spring or uh, Debsan. So we have that map of Chuen Lai and uh, we have the letter from Chuen Lai to Nehru of December 17, 1959. As a matter of fact, the Chinese map published in 1950 56, to which Your Excellency Nehru refer, correctly show the traditional boundary between the two countries of this sector. So, but today they're saying uh, that during the talks on the lake, on Chushul and Moldo, they always say that in, in November, means one month earlier, they had given another line which was much more advantage, advantageous for them. Uh, I'm not sure if India has really pointed to that discrepancy. Um, and they also, that letter, they always refer. What is sad that China 
as a position. They, now their official position, they have given a letter in uh, November uh, 7 of 1959. They say that they defined the LSE and they have given a map. Now, in the map, which is with the Ministry of External Affairs, there is no map attached. So it means they have not given the, the map. But now they have rewritten this tree. And what is the sad part of it is the entire Indian press is keep repeating that, uh, the, mentioning the November 7 uh, map, which doesn't exist. So it's very difficult uh, unless uh, we have to really study more in India and particularly in your university, more the history to show, to call off the bluff of, of, of China. You, all the territory which today China claims has, has been proved to be part under uh, Ladakh. So we, we have to keep calling that bluff. And I really wish all the many students would go in these issues and will try to find the documents and show that China is bluffing. But today they can bluff without uh, being caught. And it's only actually they speak about that November, September um, 59 map, but it's only in 62 that Chuen Lai gave um, in a letter to the uh, Asian and African leaders in December 52 means the, the war was over, the ceasefire had been declared, and he gave uh, the, this map, which is today their claim. And But interestingly, uh, you see three of these points, Galvan, Gogra, and, and the figures. The, the, map, the map is so vague, is so poorly defined that you cannot really draw uh, uh, LSE uh, because LSE is a line of actual control is to which point each army is controlling the, its own territory. Uh, on this, it's absolutely impossible. So it resulted by the May 2020 attack in five places. But three of these places, uh, it's so vague, the, the map, that it's very easy to advance one or two kilometers when LAC, which was not existing in 1959, which was only, that is the only map given in 1962 by China. Um, India and China had talks several times for several years. The first one was in for the central sector in Barauti, in Chamoli. It was inconclusive. Not only inconclusive, but uh, each time China went back on its promise. They agreed, China agreed, and India agreed that uh, this small um, area called Barauti, um, north of Niti uh, village, would be... Uh, could be a patrol, but with unarmed uh, soldiers. And the first year after the talks in 59 and in 60, China sent armed uh, patrols. So that is a long story of agreement with between China and India. The agreement is signed, but later on not, not followed. And uh, there were talks in six, 1960, I mentioned it two days back, and talks in 61 between uh, Indian ambassador in Peking, J. Uh, Partasarati, and the director of the ministry in, in Peking. It, it never uh, found any conclusion, and it ended by a, a border war, uh, because again, China tried to advance the border at that time. Um, in 1960, for the first time, Chuen Lai mentioned of 
LAC, a line of actual control. And uh, it was the first time India had never heard about this thing. They were thought about, they were thinking in terms of IB, international border. But line of actual control is different. Uh, you have a certain claim, like India claims the entire accession, but it has no control over the accession. So for the first time, Chuan Lai in, uh, introduced this and he said we should uh, restrict our, ourselves to the LAC. Um, and they, they were the administrative jurisdiction. But as you know, in Ladakh, there's not such a thing of administrative jurisdiction except the grazing right, as I mentioned two days back. And uh, while India was stuck on the watershed principle, uh, Chuan Lai said he spoke of watershed, rivers, valley, mountain paths should be equally applicable. So that is the main difference. Uh, for example, for the central sector, India is very clear about the watershed. In Sikkim, India is very clear. But China said, no, there's not. We have to take into account other uh, principles that I mentioned on the first thing. And uh, many agreements were signed, all mentioning the LAC, but the LAC, no map of the LAC was attached to this. You see, if you pass a law in the parliament, or uh, you first define what uh, what is this law about, what is it uh, for. So if you mention one term, you define the term. In all these agreements of 93, 96, 2005, 2012, 2013, the LAC is mentioned, but no, at no point in time, a map is attached to this agreement. That was a blunder, I think, that uh, Indian diplomacy did. And uh, once I ask an ambassador why you sign an agreement and you don't define what you're signing about. And he said, I'm sorry, it's, uh, I told the prime minister that uh, we should put a map. And the prime minister said, I have to present it in a parliament. Uh, let it be passed, uh, let the parliament agree and we will discuss with China about the, about the, the LAC, define the LAC and produce a map. It was never done. And um, at one point, beginning of 2000, the India and China tried again to find a, a solution to their border dispute. A map was changed from the central sector, and it's only map that we have today. In June 2002, the western sector was seen, means Ladakh was seen by 20 minutes. Each uh, party during the negotiation brought their own. Um, claim of the LAC on the map, on the table, and every, both parties saw that there was so much discrepancy uh, between the two that they withdrew the map, and since then no map has been exchanged. So there's no official map of the LAC. And uh, in the east, uh, eastern, in the uh, Sorry, in the west, that is the northern sector, but in the eastern sector, they have never been, never been exchanged. And um, that's uh, the tragedy, and that is a root cause of the 2020 confrontation, because no map of the LSE existed. Though China is pretending that in September 59 they have given, they have not given, but there's no map of the Now, what can in India do? Uh, I think India should promote Buddhism and other faiths uh, while developing this uh, border area. 
I'm seeing other face because many uh, areas uh, Guru Nanak has visited, like in northern Sikkim, in Guru, Guru Dongmar, or like some places also in uh, in Tawang area, north of Tawang. So this place should be developed. Government of India has started. They've done this uh, uh, vibrant village scheme and many villages have been adopted and developed for tourism. But also culturally, uh, we should, uh, India should renovate the Gompa uh, support. Though India is a lay state, is a, is, um, it's a secular state uh, by its constitution. It cannot, uh, it cannot support or finance uh, Gompa, but it can, uh, uh, support and finance institution like you have in Choklamsa, the Buddhist Institute. So this could be multiplied. Now the big advantage that India has over China, the advantage that Ladakh has over the Rutok and Nari is that uh, religion and Buddhism is a really strong force which is acknowledged. This picture, when his holiness, it was last year when he uh, arrived in the airport till his residence, there was 10, 15 kilometers of people waiting uh, to get his, his blessing. And on the other side, uh, two, three years ago, the Panchem Lama recognized by China, I went, there was maximum 20, 20 30 people. I collected all the photos of the, the Chinese Panchem Lama's uh, visit to uh, Demchok and uh, Chiakang and Rutok. And uh, there was 20, 30 people maximum uh, waiting to receive him. And so that's a big advantage that India has. And uh, days like the July 6 should be celebrated. Since a few years it's celebrated in uh, Indus Valley near Dungti or uh, Koyul and China is not happy is putting banners on the other side, but let them put banners. I think they would like very much the people, the Tibetan from the other side to cross over and celebrate with the Ladakhi and the Tibetan refugees the July 6. Actually, as I was telling someone jokingly, they should be invited to come the Tibetan to come and join the Ladakhi and the Tibetan refugees for July 6. So this type of um, function as well as some festivals has been recently uh, organized in Ladakh on the border areas. And the opening of the border areas to foreign tourists as well as Indian tourists. Uh, I mentioned Umlingla, that uh, fashion show, but uh, Handley, for example, the, the observatory. And uh, this should be uh, developed more and more. and. Uh, First, because this is all Indian territory and is something that China cannot do the other side. So I mentioned uh, uh, reopen traditional pilgrim on the border, but also trade. Four or five years ago, there was a talk of reopening Domchule. And actually, it's interesting because it's each time it's the Chinese who back out. Back out. India, government of India was ready, the Ladakh Hill Council was ready, and uh, details were worked out how to reopen uh, Dumchule officially, not for uh, smuggling, because smuggling was a big uh, issue for, uh, but for uh, proper trade, like in Natula. 
it never happened. Uh, promote the body language for, uh, I remember that uh, 13, 14 years ago, I attended the Kala Chakra in, uh, in Kaza, in uh, Spiti Valley, and there was a big uh, conference about uh, uh, promoting body language and uh, introducing it in the eighth schedule of the constitution. Still has not, I don't know why the government is sleeping on such a things. I think agreement could be found between all the parties and, uh, and in, introduce the body language as a eighth, uh, in the eighth schedule of the constitution. And promote history of the Himalaya. I mean, like your university, I'm sure it will do it and must have already started. But um, I was quite shocked once I went to Shimla to the Institute of Advanced Studies. And I say, how many uh, PhD you have uh, in Himalayan studies? How many students are? Uh, they say none. I said, why? Well, uh, Shimla should have been the center of, of this. And now there's also uh, in, in, sorry, in Sikkim, in Gantok, you have a good institute of Tibetology. Uh, in, um, in Narunachal, in Tanga Valley, you have also uh, good uh, on the same line that the Shoklamsar Institute uh, Institute of Himalayan Studies, but it should be developed further. And I think your university has a role to play. And um, I had written this Chinese uh, pilgrims to visit Gaya and other Buddhist sites. Uh, I've written it last year, but now I'm not too sure. And uh, yesterday, the Chinese government uh, refused to give a proper visa to people, sportsmen from Arunachal Pradesh. They have done it all, also to the Ladakhi. Uh, so as a matter of fact, the government of India has withdrawn the entire delegation in these uh, games in uh, in Chengdu, in Sichuan. So it takes it takes time. And um, like the, the Kailash Mansarovar uh, Yatra, uh, the Takshin Yatra in Arunachal could one day be reopened. But to go to Kailash, the most logical way, the easiest way would be to drive from uh, Leh to Denchok of Donjule and cross the, the, and to go to, it would be one, one day drive to go to, to Kailash Mansarova. So I hope this will take place in the future. Of course, the situation is tense because of the Ladakh. And the Tibet card, I think what changed many things, and when um, a Tibetan officer from the establishment 22 from the uh, spe uh, Special Frontier Force was killed on, on the Kailash Range uh, near Rezangla in uh, August of 2020. Uh, suddenly, everyone in India realized that the Tibetan are fighting for uh, India. And um, so this should be used also as a card and help the Tibetan refugee more in, in, uh, in Ladakh. And have the teaching of His Holiness, I think it's the most important event, which also uh, it doesn't please China, but um, th that's uh, important because it's the root of the uh, culture and the civilization uh, of the Ladakh area, as well as uh, Sikkim or uh, Arunachal, I mean, at least Tawang and some other place like uh, 
Xiang. Uh, so that Tibet card was also important. That um, operation of the Tibetan troops were also important because for the first time India took some territory, occupied some territory, which was a bargain. So some say they should have not given so easily that uh, that range, which was so strategic. It was dominating the entire road between the uh, Spango Gap and Rutok, and uh, all the uh, supplies and, uh, and comes on that road. So in India decided to return it in exchange of a deal on the fingers. I don't know if it was a good deal or not, but this is another issue. So uh, now I, you have already seen uh, it's mainly due to the fact that there was no map of the LAC and many of the, the places were uh, not officially uh, Claim. So uh, actually, it's interesting that uh, uh, the confrontation three years ago has resulted in defining the LAC in many places. Unfortunately, not in Nepsang and Demchok, but in other places through the uh, 17 rounds of talks, uh, maps have been exchanged, and now the Indian Army and the Chinese Army know exactly. Uh, where uh, they stand and where where they can pat up to which point to patrol, so it's very uh, it's bringing bringing some stability. Unfortunately, China is not going to give easily Depsong and Demchok for the good reason that uh, it would be a loss of face for Xi Jinping. One general called Zhu uh, Wangxi, uh, sorry, Zhong. Zhao Zhongxi, he was the com commander of the Western Theater Command. He knew very well the area. He had been com uh, commanding the Tibet military district, and he decided to advance the LAC in these five places, thinking that India would not react. Unfortunately for him and for Xi Jinping, India had reacted and uh, brought uh, reinforcement and uh, stood by the LAC. It was a bit late and uh, at least for Depsong, and now many places India is not able to patrol in Depsong, but uh, the reaction of the government of India, which was more prepared because, for example, with the Ladakh scouts or the Tibetan, it's easier uh, for the acclimatization and to bring troops. The first two years, uh, the PLA, the Chinese, had a lot of problems of uh, oxygen, of uh, acclimatization. And uh, the uh, Chinese army is an army uh, which uh, go by recruitment. There's two recruitment every year. So uh, uh, they are new. In India, it's a more a professional army. And even if you have uh, madrasis or Bihari, like there was in um, Galvan, uh, these people have been acclimatized, have followed the process, and which was not the case uh, of the Chinese. So I think the Indian Army has an advantage on the on the on the Chinese Army. But as I mentioned two days back, uh, for the infrastructure, for the roads, it's much easier on the Chinese side, and also uh, China. The Chinese Army has much more gadgets. Though sometimes they are bluffing, like at the time of Galvan, they say that they had uh, drones to deliver the food and they were delivering fresh food 
French vegetable to the troops. And I think it's nonsense. They actually, they stopped talking about it and uh, showing videos of drones dropping. They had exoskeleton, something that you put on your leg and make you uh, run in the mountain and things like that. A lot of bluff from the Chinese side. And, um, but unfortunately, uh, this uh, this confrontation is not going to end very soon because it would mean that um, Xi Jinping, Zhao Zhongxi, the general, has gone uh, is retired, but uh, Xi Jinping would have to admit that in the first place he occupied Demchok, this area in Demchok. One solution, at least for Demchok, would be uh, they had something called agreed disputed area one area which is neutralized and where a patrol armed on on, on armed could uh, could uh, patrol this area uh, at different time or jointly uh, it has happened in for example in arunachal in the place called the fishtail the chinese and the indian troops are patrolling this the same area at different time they inform each other that we are going to patrol like that so that's one solution but i think it's quite far away um, mr wang Yi, the new reappointed uh, minister of external affairs foreign affairs of china has met the nsa mr Jidoval last week they said they will uh, meet for uh, one more time, 18 times on the lake. But I doubt that these two issues of the song and the thing. So, but at the end of the day, when you look at this map, when you look at the history of these areas, all these places were Ladakhi. They were not, they were not Chinese. So I think uh, it's your job to really go into it deeper and show that it is uh, to find the, um, the records the land records, the grazing records, other uh, the records of the travelers uh, who visited this place and show that this place had nothing to do with China. So I think that's an important job. And um, uh, I mentioned already this 18 rounds of talk has been the first exercise to partially delineate the, the LAC in this Ladakh. Uh, it will take uh, much more time. But it's very interesting to note that this Indian army will negotiate for the first time. Of course, sometimes there's a representative of the Ministry of External Affairs from Delhi who comes. But uh, usually, I mean, not usually, it's always the core commander of the Indian army who negotiate with his counterpart in China. And sometimes uh, the army is more practical. I would say even the Chinese, both are, uh, because China, of course, has this uh, um, compulsion, this political compulsion, and the, they have their uh, uh, the political commissar who is always uh, with the army commander. But uh, it, they, at the end, they are practic quite practical, and they don't want to clash again like Galvan. So Galvan was provoked by the Chinese because it was Xi Jinping's birthday that day on 15 June of 2020. And one local officer wanted to please his uh, emperor. And he started that 
uh, that clash, but ultimately it resulted for 20 casualties on India side, and but probably 40, 45 from on the Chinese side. So they don't want to uh, reiterate that. So I think uh, both army will ultimately find a solution. Army is the last one who wants war because they are in the first uh, rank when it, when it happens. And uh, I end up by a prayer that uh, tomorrow the world will be more, more peaceful and this beautiful Himalaya should come back to the peace it had for centuries and millennia. That was the most beautiful and most powerful peace in the world, these Himalayan mountains. So unfortunately, it has been because of human wanting to grab land. And I must say that it's Chinese is not a very good neighbor. When the Tibetan were a neighbor, it was easier to find a solution or to keep talking about it. So I hope that uh, for a better tomorrow. But in the meantime, uh, both armies are facing each other. Thank you. Uh, now we have uh, some questions. Uh, we have one question. The first the one, no? The, the last time, no? Yes, time yes. So, yes, yes. Uh, the last time, uh, one question left, uh, which was, uh, what are your view on China facing possibly two-front war and significance of uh, TAR, 14, five-year plan? I think Tibetan autonomous region, 14, five-year plan. Very, very different question. About the two-front war, uh, you see for decades after... Uh, 4950, uh, India thought that Pakistan was a enemy number one. And of course, there was Indian Hiwaiwai in the 50s, and I mean, it resulted in a war in 62. But still, uh, India never took very seriously the Chinese threat. It's only very recently. I must say, it's after uh, Toklam in June 2017 that India realized. Uh, Prime Minister had gone to Wuhan uh, later uh, after in 2018 uh, uh, Xi Jinping came to Mabalipuram and everyone thought all issues could be sorted out and uh, India as a result was not really prepared in May of 2020 and for one week uh, India didn't realize that uh, especially in Depsang, that uh, China was occupying some of Indian territory. So now it has changed. There's very clearly two fronts. In, India has to be prepared for two fronts. And um, we have seen that, I don't know if you've read in newspaper, that um, the CDS, the Chief of Defense Staff, General Anil Chohan, has been working. And before him, General Bipin Rawat had been working on Theater, theaterization means you have two theaters coming. Um, instead of having uh, in Ladakh, for example, you have 14 corps, which is the army, you have the, uh, the, the IAF, the Indian uh, Air Force. We have separate command and uh, separate everything, separate procurement, separate. Now, the government of India has decided to have theater command. Uh, 
in the CSO command, the head of the command, the commandant, commander will be either from army or air force and will uh, have an entire uh, theater opposite. Theater means one of one front. It's the same thing than the front. So uh, I think end of August, it will be announced that there'll be three new commands. One command for Pakistan. It will be based in Jaipur. One uh, theater, theater command based in uh, Lucknow uh, for China. It will look after the entire uh, Chinese uh, border. And the third one, uh, maritime for the Navy. So by rotation, Air Force officer and Army officer will, will be commander of this. So it shows that the government knows that there's two fronts. They have taken the decision to face these two fronts. And uh, of course, there's always the possibility of uh, if Pakistan attacked, China sided with Pakistan. But at the same time, uh, the lessons of the Ladakh confrontation is that it won't be easy for the People's Liberation Army to grab few more kilometers of the Indian territory. They've tried in December 2022 in um, in uh, near, near Tawang, east of Bumla, and uh, at night they tried to capture some Indian territory. They were sent back the, 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 the next morning. So they know that it will be much more difficult to take India by, by surprise, and it will be much more difficult. But these two fronts are here to stay, and the government has taken measure or is going to take measure to uh, face two fronts. So this is called the theater command. Regarding the significance of the Tibetan Autonomous Region 14-5-year um, plan, uh, many uh, infrastructure is an important part of it. I mentioned it uh, already uh, two days back. The new airports, uh, three new airports. One is in Purang in Nari, uh, which is near the Kailash. Uh, this is important, as I say, because of the dual use of this airport. A lot of new helipads, and eventually uh, the train will reach Kiron, the border with Nepal, and continue via the Aksachin to Xinjiang. So the road that they did in the 50s, between 52 and 57, across the Aksachin, they will be in parallel uh, railway lines that that's not for the 14 but is for 15 15 plan 15 and 16 plan and um, the train will also reach chumbi valley 15 plan and uh, sona 16 plan but 14 plan something is very worrying for india is the plan of uh, surveying the the Yalong Sampo, the grid band of the Yalong Sampo, to do uh, some hydropower plant, which would be three times the size of the Three Gorges uh, Dam. I'm not sure at all. Many uh, authors and journalists have been writing recently that China is going to do it. I'm not sure at all they are going to do it, but they will certainly do the survey. That survey is mentioned in the 14 five-year plan. So it's a very difficult terrain. It's uh, a lot of landslides, mudslides, and uh, earthquake, the 1950 earthquake. So that's not easy. They won't do it so easily. And um, 
so le let's see. But uh, that's, I think, what the most important thing uh, to watch from India is that uh, survey. Of course, they will not tell immediately the of the result of the survey, but that is it. Uh, there's another question from Rigzin Nurbu. He says, uh, could you please share some points on Tikmosga Treaty? Some more points on Tikmosga Treaty. I mentioned after the Mongol-Tibetan War, there was a, a treaty and what remains. I think Franke, you, have all, you must have all this book in PDF of Franke. Uh, about the history of Ladakh, they, it goes into detail. But I think uh, the, the important point I mentioned about uh, you, the, the Nala is the border in, in Demchok. Mm -hmm. And each time there were, used to be a meeting between uh, Gapin, the governor of uh, Western Tibet, and uh, the, Brit the British resident and the Vazir Advazarat of Ladakh, and uh, people from uh, Srinagar, it used to be in Demchok. So that, that was really the... And, and uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of... Uh, many books have been re written. And uh, I don't know if this treaty still exists in Timotan. Uh, what something interesting I've been thinking is after last talk that uh, you, uh, you should find where are the archives of uh, the Vazir and Vazarat. So um, I, I was told in Srinagar or maybe in Jammu, but I'm not too sure, but uh, certainly not in the DC's office or like that, but there would be a lot of uh, records. Uh, I'm also told that um, in Emis Kompa, the Changze is keeping records, land records of many of this area, which they show clearly that the, the, this uh, area, the monastery, or were collecting taxes, or the house tax, or grazing, or, or the agreement between different villages, no, or villages, the sarpanch of different villages, an agreement saying the copies kept. If that is very important to find for the history of Ladakh and to show that where is the Chinese in that? There's no Chinese. No? It's between the sometimes the Tibetan Garpen, otherwise between the Ladakhi villages. In okay. So next question is about the nature of PLA army in Tibet. How many Tibetans are in the Chinese army? You see the origin of this, uh, the fact that the Tibetan, the PLA started uh, recruiting Tibetan has been the uh, operation of the Tutus of the Special Frontier Force on the Ladakh Range in August 2020. Suddenly they realized that the Tibetans are fighting for India. They have, uh, 70 years ago, they have invaded Tibet, they have occupied Tibet, they're controlling Tibet, but uh, Tibetan people are, are fighting against them. So they were, uh, psychologically, I think it really shook the, the Chinese army and they started a big campaign, but it was more a publicity campaign that we are going to recruit. Now, uh, they can recruit for uh, militia or different uh, jobs, but not for a special force. Or uh, they, you know, special force are the most trusted because they do special operation. And uh, you can't afford to have, some, have someone who uh, 
will uh, go the other side or if Dharam Salah or His Holiness says something, uh, he will uh, immediately uh, retire. So I don't think they've ever planned to have a, a special force in line with the establishment 22. How many? I think a few hundred, um, six, seven hundred. Uh, I uh, read some article in Chinese. Um, they included 120, 130 women, but uh, mainly for uh, the militia to do uh, supporting uh, work for the PLA uh, in terms, for example, of surveying of Reiki. You send them to, because they know the, especially uh, north of Arunachal Pradesh, all these uh, new village, Shokang village, they use Tibetan who know the area. Similarly, uh, India will use uh, people, local people who know the area to show the way to the for the patrols and things like that. So that's not really the army. That is more uh, paramilitary uh, forces. And um, so it's not big. And uh, more recently, last one year or so, I, I hardly see anything in their uh, Chinese newspaper and thing about, about the... Uh, it comes more in India that there were some uh, uh, news reports saying that there's a lot of Tibetans on the border. But it's much more in, in the militia than uh, really in the PLA. The PLA has this border defense regiment, so very rarely uh, they, they have Tibetan, except for uh, uh, tr translating and like that. There was an interesting in incident uh, in the eastern uh, sector, I think north of Tawang, uh, there was some uh, confrontation between the Chinese army and the Indian army, and both had the Tibetans in, in their uh, in their troops. So from the Chinese side, they told the Tibetan, you are traitors, you are tra you're a Chinese, how can you be serving India? You fight against your own country, uh, China. If we catch you, we'll take you to Lhasa and we'll hang you publicly in Lhasa. Uh, it means that they are upset. Uh, Chinese are upset. They, they have asked this guy to speak, but Chinese are upset by the fact that uh, uh, special frontier force have been fighting uh, for India. Okay, there is another question by Tempa Dagal. PRC and the Communist Party has always shown tendency to not stand by its own words, even when it comes to bilateral or multilateral treaties. Your presentation highlights it very clearly. Hence, in such a context, why are governments still trying to appease China with the trade booming and continuing to grow each year between the two countries? That is absolutely true. That from uh, I mentioned from Barauti first negotiation till uh, more recently, uh, they have always uh, the government of India has always tried try to appease China. You remember that in 2018, the government, the Ministry of External Affairs, published a note. It sent that note to all the state government and to all the officials including the army, that nobody should meet His Holiness Dalai Lama and nobody should meet the Sikyong in Dharamsala or they should not be invited to Delhi 
because they will, uh, China will be upset. So that mindset was has continued since the 50s till more recently. Um, I think there was a change in, after Doklam, first change, and the second change came with COVID. Everyone knows from where the COVID has come. It has come from that uh, lab in Wuhan, and China has given that to, to the world. So the way that the world is looking at China and the way India is looking at China has tremendously changed since uh, 2020. And the last one was the confrontation in Ladakh, which was absolutely uncalled for. If they had a doubt on the on the LAC, how much territory they try to grab in Galwan? One or two kilometers just to be in a position to dominate the new road which is going to DBO. So all these things could have been uh, discussed. But usually what China does, what they have done in Aksachin, what they are doing in the South China Sea, they take whatever they need. <coughs> And they said, we'll negotiate after. But negotiation never uh, anything happened. I think the government uh, appeasement is not booming and, uh, and the trade is not booming. Trade is booming because it's more difficult to control the, the big companies. But uh, progressively, including it includes the Western uh, trade, uh, everyone starts realizing that business in China uh, maybe it's not such a good investment. But as long as it was an investment and that company could make money, they find something, one component cheaper in China, they will get from China, the, the big companies. So progressively, they will uh, they start understanding that it's not like that. But it's true that uh, trade has been uh, increasing. I think it's uh, progressively it will stop. <coughs> there is another, I think, question. China claims historical Tibet and Tibet claims Ladakh. Hence, China still claims on Ladakh. It, it is a contemporary issue, but it has it has the, its root in a historical background. That's what I try to show. The I didn't show the very, very old background, but it is the. Absolutely, uh, it's absolutely con contemporary because army on both sides are facing each other. But the uh, uh, claim of China, China is not it's not serious. If you go into detail, what they did in 1960 of the Chinese claim, whether they are Tarigas, they are Denchok, or any anywhere, the fact that they have changed the line three or four times. The 56 line, the 59 line, the six means that they didn't even know in 56 when Chuan Lai came that uh, where was the, their claim line. And uh, if they had not occupied um, Eastern Turkestan in 49, they would have never come uh, to Ladakh. So the problem of all, most of uh, the Tibetan side means Demchok, uh, Lanakla, all this side is more documented because of the Garpen in Western Tibet at some records, and but the, there's much less records on, on the Debsang uh, and uh, Galwan, Hot Spring, Gogra, and all. There's much uh, less historical record. I think they're existing, but we 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 are we have to find them. Uh, 
So I don't know if Tibet claims Ladakh. I mean, sometimes Ladakh has claimed Tibet also. <laughs> so there was dispute. So it's uh, it has moved, uh, but there was eventually an, an agreement in 1842 in, in Shushul. But uh, uh, I know that Tibetan claim is um, culturally Ladakh. I think there's. Uh, Many Tibetans think like that, but I don't think it's a case of uh, the Dalai Lama and his administration. But I know that some, and there was also historically uh, dispute between uh, the Geluk and the Dukpa Karyu. Huh? So that, that's played a very important role uh, into the history of the, of the area. You know, even recently, three, four years ago, they're saying that uh, some of these uh, monasteries around the Kailash who have been traditionally Dukpa have become Karmakadyu and this and that, and the, or the Geluk would like to, uh, they, they speak of uh, Geluk hegemony, but uh, it has existed, it still maybe existed in some other way. But I think uh, His Holiness government and His Holiness himself have been very clear where, what is Ladakh and what is what is Tibet? There's no doubt about it. So the last question is whether China China is aware on the LAC realization that uh, Durbuksha Road is threat to Tibet and Xinjiang Highway. Oh. I think Tibet is Xinjiang. Uh, no, no, nine, nine, two, two one nine is. Uh, 219 is east of the, the DBO. So sometimes the newspaper, the media, India media said this dispute with Tibet and, and, and Ladakh. But main, most of the border is not with Tibet. Uh, I, I wish I would have shown a map here where the Tibetan claims. Actually, the, that place where the Chinese had just built a, a bridge across, a two-kilometer bridge across the Pangongso recently, that's exactly the point where uh, Tibet ended. That uh, Tibet has never claimed um, west of, of, of this point, that where the lake becomes very, very narrow like that, and China has done the bridge so that they can uh, uh, cross very easily and come from the back in the Shushul area from the... So that is the point. Uh, also, Dumchule, uh, the Demchok, they were, they were the point touching Tibet, but not uh, most of this is done Ladakh, where confrontation takes place. It's, it was with uh, Eastern Turkestan, or, no, no, nobody, nowhere. There was, who, you see the issue I, I should have mentioned that Aksashin, uh, government of India didn't realize for one good reason that before 1940, only the caravan were going. They were crossing Kala Pass, going to Central Asia, Kashgar and Yakan. And the entire Aksashin was salted water. You cannot send a uh, camels or uh, uh, other animals uh, and drink in the salted waters. So, but with the advent of the motor vehicle, the engine in the 40s, suddenly it became something very easy, the, the easiest way 
to cross from uh, Xinjiang to Tibet is across the Aksashin. While the caravan never crossed uh, across the Aksashin, uh, only a few adventurers or hunters have been there. But after the 40s and uh, China, when they occupied the uh, Eastern Turkestan in 1450, immediately they saw that this road, the Kunlum was very, very difficult to cross. They never crossed the Kunlum. They tried in 51, 52 to cross the Kunlum. And uh, actually today they are working on the new road, the uh, J216, which will be the second link between Xinjiang and, and Tibet. That would cost the, the Kunlum. But today, technologically, they are so advanced in building uh, bridges or digging tunnels. That, is, uh, that was not the case in the 50s. So in the 50s, because of the motor, because they wanted only trucks to, to go on that road, they were even getting uh, the petrol for Tibet, for the uh, entire Tibet, the PLA, was getting its petrol from Central Asia via the uh, accession road, because it was a, uh, a road it's easy to. And India took time to realize this. They were thinking in terms of uh, old caravans, going only the Karakoram. I don't know the, the horror thing. His, his tomb is in near Purong. <coughs> There's a sort of a stupa. Um, and um, he, he, they said he has been buried there. I, did he was beheaded or most of these troops uh, died of cold also? Because they were not used, uh, Dogra were not used to that cold. So I don't know. Uh, they say, they said he was beheaded. Some, uh, I think, uh, historian like uh, Chakapa in his uh, history of Tibet in uh, in Tibetan, he gives detail of these things. My view are a little bit radical. I think it's not possible today to to get any autonomy from China. You've seen what happened last week. The Minister of External Affairs, Foreign Affairs, disappeared. China is not a normal state. China, uh, China is a dictature, is a totalitarian regime, and it's very difficult to deal with China. Further, we have seen during the 17 rounds of talks in Ladakh, it's very difficult to deal, to negotiate anything with China. And uh, I think the Americans, they have learned themselves. Uh, it's very, very difficult and they will not give. Another also issue is that if they would give to Tibet a degree of autonomy, they would have to give to Xinjiang and tomorrow to Mongolia, Inner Mongolia or even Manchuria, but maybe not Manchuria, but certainly uh, to Eastern. So they can't afford. Today, the uh, regime in, in China and in Tibet is becoming harder and harder. You imagine all these areas like Ladakh or Arunachal or Uttarkhand have been dealing and trading and exchanging with Tibet for centuries and centuries. Now, today, you can't go. Till 2016, there were some uh, smuggling in Dumchule. Even this has stopped. So uh, it's very difficult. 
to deal with China. And the other issue is that I mentioned, and that was the first question also, they never respect the, what they sign. So tomorrow, suppose a miracle, they agree to give some autonomy to, uh, to Tibet. Where is the, uh, the guarantee that they will respect that autonomy? Like in 58 from Baroti or later on, even 93, they said that they, they, they will be unarmed and this confidence building measure. This 93, 96 uh, agreement with China, they have never respected. That's why uh, Galvan took place. So uh, if they would sign, Tibet is a weak state militarily. Uh, you need muscles. Uh, India could get a deal on the lake in the finger area because they had captured the Tibetan had captured the, the Ladakh range above uh, Rezangla and uh, near the Spangor Gap because they had a bargain. But uh, what bargain have the Tibetan today for uh, asking for a degree of autonomy? Uh, I come back to something that is only told me in 19. Uh, 86, I said, how will Tibet get free? He said, something will happen in China. We are too weak. We are too, we are a small country, three, six million people against one billion. There's no chance for us. We have no army. We, no, we have our power of conviction of nonviolence, but only when the day something happens inside China. And something will happen inside China because it is happening already economically. When all the, the big companies realize that China, uh, they can't make money. Of course, Elon Musk and all, they still go to China or Bill Gates, but it will not last forever. And that day, maybe there'll be, a, I'm sure there'll be a possibility for uh, Tibet to get some sort of autonomy, but not today. It will come maybe in a couple of years or 10 years or 20 years. I don't know. Nobody knows. But uh, today, there's no chance that uh, the middle pass of the dilemma works practically. I think middle pass is a very beautiful uh, concept for the future. But for today, I, I'm speaking of someone who read every past spend hours and hours every day on reading the, this Chinese media and everything. I don't see the possibility to do it. They have become harder, including the PLA. Claude, thank you very much for, for making a wonderful presentation yet again. I think there were some very insightful uh, questions from both faculty and, and students. Um, and we look forward to having more of such uh, talks with Claude. Um, uh, I think the information that he brings onto the table is really uh, original and you know, a fresh perspective as well. So uh, thank you, Claude, once again. Thank you, Dr. Sonam Jolanla, And thank you, students and faculty members for joining us uh, here today. Uh, the Fault Lines is actually um, a playlist of our channel under which uh, we have our talks slated with the University of of Ladakh. So please do find all these uh, talks that we've had with your university in the past on our YouTube channel under